This is the Horse Radio Network. When the Geek, founder of the Horse Radio Network and host of the Horses in the Morning Show, the longest-running daily horse podcast in the world. I want to welcome you back to another Equestrian Roundtable on the Stable Scoops podcast. In every roundtable, I invite two industry professionals, and I have some fun ones tonight, and one listener to tackle the hot topics of the day. And we're going to get a little controversial tonight, I think. Uh, although I think we're probably all going to agree on it, so that might not be as much fun. But I'll we'll see if we can play devil's advocate a bit. I'll be your host and moderator, and I'm sure that uh, I will have some opinions, but mostly it's the panelists that lead the way in these discussions, and you guys. So you can comment if you notice the comment section uh, down below. There is a way up above me where it says, uh, if you agree, if you agree to StreamYard's terms, it'll show the, uh, your names in our comments, so we'll see your names. Otherwise, we'll just see Facebook user. But uh, if you want us to see your names, what we would like you to comment and play along, all of the panelists can see the comments. So we're going to We'll we'll call you guys like Donna just said hi. So say hi and where you're from. We'd like to see where you're from as you're joining us here right now. The early birds definitely tell us your name and where you're from. So we would love to see that at this point. Uh, so if you're uh, if you're watching this for the first time, this is a roundtable and the panelists have picked the discussion points and we're going to go over those tonight. And I'll give you a little bit of a preview so that you know what we're going to be talking about tonight. We are going to be talking about the topics, how to creatively market your horse for sale. Because uh, we get, we've been getting that question a lot lately in the auditor room is where do I sell my horse and you know how do I do it the best and I can get the most money for it, that kind of thing. And we know a little bit about bad ads because Jamie and I have been doing bad ads for 10 years now on the Horses in the Morning Show. And then we have uh, Racing Horses at Two... And the use of whips in racing. So Debbie brought that to the table. That'll be a fun one to chat about and should both be abolished. So should we start racing horses a little bit later and abolish using whips? And then managing costs of owning horses and what's necessary and what's not. So all of us have to take a look at our budgets. Uh, I know many uh, us horse husbands would say that many of you don't even have a budget and don't even think about that when you want to buy 25 saddle pads. But we'll discuss that tonight and what is a priority and what's not. Um, and we got Hannah on here from the back of a Frisian. Well, that's pretty cool. I like that. We love when you're listening on horseback. So that's what's happening tonight. If you miss any part of this, you can find it on Stable Scoop. We put it out in audio form on the Stable Scoop podcast feed. So you just go and you can listen to the whole thing over there as well. We're here every other Wednesday night at 7.30 Eastern. Tonight, joining us for this roundtable is the host of the Horsemanship Radio Show for many, many, many years here on the Horse Radio Network. And that's Debbie. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Glenn. How are you? And of course, uh, Debbie Laux is uh, Monty Roberts' daughter, and you're sitting in one of Monty's rooms, if I have, if I am correct. This is true. You can almost see some of the sculpture in the background that my mom does. This is the conference room at the office. Oh, at yeah, Flags yeah. Arms. yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. Solving. The pictures on the walls are incredible. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. The, the whole history there <laughs> on the walls. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, a lot of talent in this family, and it skips a generation. <laughs> Apparently. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> so how long have you been doing uh, Horsemanship Radio? You know, I was looking today. We're writing some stuff up, and you talked me into this in 2013. <laughs> and I said, let's just do it for a year and see how it goes. And yeah. you forgot to quit. So there, here we are all I... these years later. <laughs> <laughs> it's amnesia. <laughs> I, see, I know Debbie, and I knew her then, and I knew that once she starts something, she never quits. So here we are, <laughs> seven years I'm later. I'm like a horse. I'm just staying the track, you know? <laughs> so you're one of our veterans out here with Horsemanship I so. Radio. I, I think over 500 episodes now, right? Uh, no, no, I don't have that many. Oh, it's every I two. Have, it's so you're 200 to every, 300, somewhere in there. Yep. Yeah, it's okay. it's twice a month. That's yeah, right. it's um, the downloads I was impressed with everybody. That's very nice. 1.6 million downloads. Yeah, now. you do. You do all right with your with your little horsemanship My radio little, podcast. Two times a month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not Glenn at all. But you know, I, I 
it adds up. It adds up. Yeah. It does add up all, after all those years. And you know, the average podcast gets 180 downloads an episode. So you're doing all right there, girl. You're doing all right. I'm glad. I'm glad. There's a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Now we have a veteran podcaster and now we have a baby podcaster. Uh, <laughs> brand new, just coming out with her show. And it's going to be called The Lead Line. And she's also going to be on the Horse Radio Network. I'm a proud to announce. This is the grand announcement here. We have it Mandy is. with us. Hi, Mandy. Hi. Now, I've known Mandy for a long time, too. Uh, you were one of our first guests, I think. Oh, it had to be eight, ten years oh, ago. Oh, really? It was. It must have been at least ten years ago, because that's when I be. was doing a lot. Yeah. It, yeah, you were one of our first guests when we first started 12 years ago, so you were right there in the beginning. And I've kept track of Mandy ever since, and then you said you wanted to start a podcast, and then I, I tracked her down and stalked her. Uh. <laughs> oh, he moved quick. <laughs> Glenn moved real quick on that one. <laughs> he was in my inbox right away. <laughs> I think I might have tried to talk you into this about 10 years ago, too. I think we might have had a discussion about starting a podcast all those years ago. Yeah. Well, this was way before podcasting was really a thing, too. It was all internet Tell radio. Me about and it. You had to go listen on your web browser. So it's come a long way since come then. a long way since we started doing this little thing. Uh, but I'm glad you're here, and I'm so excited. Give everybody an idea what the lead line is going to be about. Yeah, the lead line is a podcast for horse business owners. And my big thing is we all want to make money doing what we love, right? And we oftentimes get caught up in the, the hustle and the rat race of trying to make money doing our regular jobs. And we're pushing really hard at our horse business, and we just want to make that work. So it's really just about inspiring equestrian entrepreneurs to you know, really be able to make that their full-time thing if that's what they want and to be able to pr pursue their dream and make money doing it. I think it's going to be great. When's it going to start? In March. We're still finalizing that that exact date, but it will be next month. Doesn't she look professional, Debbie, with her microphone and her <laughs> no. headphones? She looks so like, professional. Yeah, who's the pros here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where's your mic, Debbie? <laughs> <laughs> another room all right now we always have a uh, somebody that represents the entire listening base of thousands of people and on and representing the thousands of listeners tonight no pressure we have rachel hi rachel hi i was gonna say no pressure <laughs> you're Thanks. representing all of them tonight so wonderful yeah now you're from wisconsin right i'm in wisconsin no snow there it's dry and it's 70 degrees Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was 40 today. It felt like a heat wave. <laughs> I bet it did. You're probably in your shorts out there. <laughs> yeah. What do you great. do there in Wisconsin? Tell us about what you do. Um, I train horses and people. So I mainly do eventing and I do like some hunter jumpers. I have a large group of uh, clients with Icelandic horses. Oh, wow. That I train. And then I also teach at the university in River Falls and coach their um, intercollegiate team. Why Icelandic horses? Kind of stands out. You, ask them, you know, there's a lot of them around here, and they attract each other, so now there's more. <laughs> they find each other, they whinny, and they then do. find each other and move they in? <laughs> yep. That's funny. They're are, fun horses. Are they fun to ride? Yes. If you ever get a chance, I don't know, if, have you gals ridden Icelandics? They're, yes. they're I fun. Haven't. Yes. They're they big Because they tolt, right? They do, yes. Is, yep. that, is that a trip or what? It's smooth. You know, like there's a reason they do the beer told. Because <laughs> you don't right. steal it. <laughs> See, yeah. I, I actually, uh, what a lot of people don't know is I have ridden in the past uh, be, before I decided I didn't like it and took up driving. Uh, but uh, I, first horse I ever rode was a Tennessee Walker. So when I actually rode a horse yeah. that wasn't a Tennessee Walker, I went, what the hell is this about? Because this it was so happy. nice and smooth. <laughs> And then I rode a horse that actually cantered and trotted, and it was, like, awful. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so now that we've met everybody, what's the name of your farm, by the way, Rachel? Um, so my business is Double Shot Equestrian. Okay. I teach out of a lot of different barns. Double Shot Equestrian. A, that's the, I'm a nomad trainer. Okay, good. Well, that's yeah. perfect. And uh, being an inventor, of course, uh, you're, you, uh, I started off in that world with Jennifer being an inventor. So we, I spent a lot of time at events. A good world. Good world. Good right world. after dressage is over, it's great. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's a horse husband speaking. Send your hate <laughs> mail to Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. Right. <laughs> All right, topics. So, Mandy, I think you uh, you brought this. Who brought the topic uh, horse for sale? Mandy did. Yep. Yes. So, tell us about your topic and why you brought it. 
So being in the online marketing space for so long, I've been able to kind of keep an eye on how Facebook has transitioned over the years. And I'm sure we all know those of us that are on Facebook on a regular basis, everything is changing constantly. And one of the things that changed over the years, um, probably more around like 2016 or so, was uh, Facebook saying, hey, you can't sell animals on Facebook. And that caused a lot of issues for responsible you know, whether it's responsible breeders or people just looking to sell their horse, maybe they just have one horse they need to sell. And on top of that, it also creates issues around trying to sell tech because Facebook thinks that all of our tech that we try to list is an animal for sale, which drives me crazy. So that said, you have to get creative around, uh, you know, how you post your host horse for sale, where you do that. And if you are going to use Facebook, you've got to be a bit creative about it so that you don't trigger all of those Facebook bots that want to shut you down. So that's what I wanted to talk about this evening. Do you sell horses, Rachel? Do you sell a lot of horses up there? I do. I usually, like last year I had two thoroughbreds that I restarted. The year before that I had a pony. So I try to keep one project horse a year, sometimes two, and kind of make that my focus. So yeah, I mean, this is something I've dealt with where they block you from posting and, you know, what, I know there's I'm trying to remember what it is. There's a few apps for thoroughbreds that you can use. Is Dreamhorse still a thing? I use Dreamhorse and yeah. I get hits. Yeah. Yeah. So people are still looking at Dreamhorse. Yeah. What it? You know. So what? Are, what are the play? Where do you have the most success? Word of mouth. Still word of mouth. Or advertising. Facebook and Dreamhorse, I think, are the two that I get hits on. You know, and some of the Facebook groups you can get around the for sale. Thing, like you're talking, you know, the bots don't find you or mm-hmm. people list like halters for sale. Yeah, we've read some of those funny ones that uh, yeah. you're trying to figure That's out. What's it <laughs> so, Debbie, do you guys sell horses at all at the we farm? do. <clears throat> I mean, I guess, you know, anybody who's got a farm that this size, you're going to you're going to do some turnover. Right. Um, but I wouldn't say we're in the business of it. We used to have a program called the Willing Partners program. And that was a lot of fun because it was basically my mom overbreeding and needing to <laughs> have a dispersal sale, but they were wonderfully bred. And so we, and we thought, well, you know, dad, dad's like one of those guys who is um, like a hairdresser who is like, has a huge reputation for fixing other people's mistakes. Okay. So we would get a lot of horses through the gate that were like, oh, you know, and I said, finally, wouldn't it be nice just to start a horse from scratch, just kindly and beautifully and and then just sell them and put it in the world. Ah, yeah, That's the way to do it. <laughs> and um, yeah. And, and people love those horses. Um, but, it, it, you know, it was just a fun project for a while. Now we're in the transition horse program. Uh, so what we found ourselves is having a school here. Over the years, in the 90s, we started a school international um, to teach how to help remedial issues and how to start horses without violence and in 30 minutes or less. You know, that I mean, dad has stumped all over the world doing this now. And uh, so we started the school and we were helping a lot of horses by pulling them out of the rescues, using them for the students and then sending them back more adoptable. Kind of what Jamie's doing, huh? With, yeah, yeah, you wonder. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, it was great. And that's what the students were doing. And they were like, ding, about two years ago, why don't we do that year round? Not just when the students are here, but start a program. So um, I came with my creative and, you know, Mandy let me slip some stuff in here. Now we have to reframe the conversation because the conversation between, you know, selling a horse um and being authentic and honest and everything sounds a little different than the adoption horses. Well, you're kind of saying the same thing. I mean, we had some fun with things like, um, you know, this horse is unrideable. Eh, probably not great, you know, in there. But you could say would make a great babysitter, right? Mm. You know, there's some <laughs> there's some changing the conversations. And uh, and a lot of us compare notes on how to write a good ad and, and – uh, Basically, it's for adoption fees, so it's kind of the same marketing um, 
program that you go through or creative process that you go through. New Vocations does a great job with their ads. They yes. write really good ads at New Vocations. They, they really do. They're honest, but they're also kind of funny and entertaining, too. I can tell you how to write a bad one. I've read about 10,000 of them over the last 10 years. <laughs> I can tell you how to write a bad one. So, Mandy, you started this conversation. There was a video you wanted to watch, right? Yes, this topic really stemmed from a video that I stumbled across. Uh, I actually think it was one of my Facebook friends that brought this up initially, and I watched it, and my, I was just blown away because they were able to really make it very exciting for people that might be prospecting for a new horse. So I pulled up this video, and we're going to share it here on the screen. And I don't okay. think that we're going to have audio for the video, but that's okay. It was just it, it was just music. So we're going to play this and kind of see what it looks yeah, like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there it is on the screen. So, why, so this was posted why, back why in November. Video? When you watch this, especially with the, the energetic music that's attached to the video, it just makes you want this horse. Even if you're not in the market for a horse, when you see everything that this horse is doing in the video... I mean, it's like, well-produced, too. This is a well-produced yes, video. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. It is. This isn't just your run-of-the-mill shot on my cell phone, uploaded it in 10 minutes kind of video. They brought somebody in to do this project. My guess is it wasn't a $20 horse either. <laughs> no. But when I saw like this part where she's opening the umbrella, I'm like, whoa, that's a really cool thing to showcase on video because it shows that the horse is very comfortable with something like that. Riding and into the barn. And then running through the woods. Yeah. Who doesn't want to do that? Yeah. And there's another part in here this where she's running with the tarp. I mean, come on. The more I watched it, I was just like, oh my God, I want this horse. And I'm not even shopping for a horse. <laughs> Well, she's hitting emotion here too, which is part of the, you know, that's part of what you, you, especially with horses, selling horses to horse women, right? Uh, emotion is part of it. And, and she's hitting mm -hmm. all the emotions here. Yeah, yeah. And then she just kind of rides off into the sunset, I guess you could say. Yeah. <laughs> Runs mean, off in the field. They, she hit it all. That was <laughs> every horse girl's dream. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So there it wasn't so much about this horse can do this because it was all music. There was no voiceover at all, but right. it sold itself. Right. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. And she uploaded that into a sale group. And I I don't even know if there was a description in there. I think there was a brief description. But a couple of the things you have to be careful for when you're posting a horse for sale on Facebook is number one, don't say horse for sale, because you'll definitely trigger the bots then. And be careful with adding things like price, like people should DM you for a price, don't put a price tag on it. Because if you put the dollar sign in and a number that again, it triggers the bots and they can, I don't know how Facebook does it, but they can tell when there's like an animal in these posts. And if you've got a price tag attached to it, it's just not going to work. So you have to be careful with your description. And this person was like, that post has been up since November and it's still there. So it didn't get removed. How important are videos, Rachel? Oops, wait a minute. I, you're, you're on mute. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So yeah, I was going to say videos and like in the jumper world, People would like to see a video of a horse jumping around at a show because, you know, you can't edit that, right? If it's at mm. home, I can jump it 10 times until it's perfect, or I can do a pretty good... You can take the jumps out where they dump the rider. You can, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but at a show, it's it's a one shot. People know that. So to show an entire round at a show, number one, shows the horse can go off property. It shows how it behaves off property and then it shows the entire round whether we have a bad jump you know in the middle or whatever but it's honest you know people catch that kind of thing if they're if they're experienced or if they're shopping with a trainer like i help people find horses and i'll catch things in videos that they don't like the horse never took its right lead and they message the seller and the seller says oh well he has some thrush and he's a little sore that's a very good thing you know they weren't going to tell you that until you caught it on the video so Watching for things like that, I guess, having a video that that shows kind of honestly what the horse does instead of trying to hide. Like that one that you just showed, Mandy, seems pretty legit. <laughs> Again, though, it's well, it's it's very produced, right? So yes. if the horse didn't pick up the canter on the right lead, uh, we're, we didn't see that cut, right? So, <laughs> you know, so uh, it's very it's very produced. I like your idea of, of uh, watching one that's in a show because then you're seeing, you know, the whole jump around. Watch for things like that, you know. Yeah. But yeah, and you know what? And videos became very important this past year, right? Because people couldn't travel. A lot of people were buying horses off of videos, and more than ever before you know, that w would have didn't happen to the scale it did this past year. Uh, yeah. Um, and I just got uh, one of those Pivo cameras for Christmas. 
And it's really been fun. Um, and I'm kind of wondering how that's going to help me market, you know, in the coming years to be able to video myself. And that's the one of- where you put it on the fence and yeah. it follows you. Yeah. It's really cool. And that's it works. Awesome. Yeah. So I think, you know, typically I have to get a working student like, hey, can you come over and hopefully it's not raining and hopefully the horse cooperates. But with that, I think you could do more videos. It does auto zoom. So that helps it look a little more polished. Well, it's not going like this the whole time. The working student's yeah. holding it either. <laughs> and you've got a in the background because someone forgot to zoom in or, yeah. you know. So I, I think that could be a helpful tool for marketing as far as getting videos because you can kind of get videos anytime right. without an assistant. Right. And so. in your case, it's important. They want to see you jumping and they want to see a little bit of dressage. They want to see a little bit of yeah. everything too. Yeah. yeah. They'd like to see it jump cross country and go over a ditch. and Yeah. 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 Yep. All those things. Cool. So where's the best place? Is it still Facebook or is it, I just put it everywhere. You know, and there's some Facebook groups when you talk about price, um, there's one that uses codes. So they'll say code A, B, C, D, and and you put your horse into that category. A lot of them say, you know, mid fours, low fives. That's how they get around the price. And I, I see a lot of that. And then PM for more details or PM for price. And then you get in your own conversation. So that that's a workaround that I've seen. Well, it's pretty easy for Facebook to identify the rooms because the rooms are titled Horses for Sale in West Virginia. You know, yep. it's kind of easy to uh, identify those rooms and where to look for posts in those rooms. So the algorithms pick that up, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that the full disclaimer is post on Facebook at your own risk. Even though we know some workarounds, there's no guarantee your account won't get flagged. Okay, and I'm going to add in spell things and use punctuation. Uh, And uh, (laughs) give us a description more than just brown horse. Uh, Maybe that'll help. And the other thing is, if you're going to post pictures, please don't post the horse from 12 miles away, covered in mud in the middle of the field, without anything around it, because uh, that doesn't help either. So I'm just, those are some helpful hints, I think, uh, that we've learned over the years. I think you need a confirmation shot, one from each side, one from the front, one from the back. And then I would also like to see it tacked up from at least one side, just to kind of show, like, those are my kind of basics, I guess. Yeah, that's true English and Western. That's true for both. Yeah. 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 I mean, a good confirmation shot is not hard to get. Right. I would ask you, we don't have time to discuss this. I'm going to ask you what the red flags are in videos that you watch for buying horses, but we could be here all night. God, let me count them. (laughs) I know. We'd be here here all night. (laughs) All right. Good conversation. Well, we do have a sponsor tonight before we get to the next question, and that's Arena Saddles. Perfect in any arena. Arena Saddles are available in dressage, jumping, and all-purpose models, all classically crafted from beautiful European leather. With meticulous attention to detail, you will turn heads in any arena with the confidence that your saddle is comfortable for you and for your horse. Let me bring that up here so I can uh, show you too. Uh, whether you're nailing your canter transition at sea, perfecting a five-stride line in the three-foot division, or galloping the countryside with wild abandon, there is a perfect arena saddle for you. Go to arenasaddles.com to learn more or to find a retailer. That's arenasaddles.com. And, you know, use your arena saddle when you're selling your horse, and it's guaranteed sale. That wasn't in the ad. I just nah. no. no, but I was thinking, like, how do I buy that horse? He's pretty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is a good looking horse. Isn't it? Oh yeah, you're right. It's <laughs> a good picture. Right, there's a good picture that evokes emotion great. right there. <laughs> All right, Debbie, you're going to bring the controversial oh, topic no. to the yeah, table tonight. It's something it. I know you're passionate about. Let's before you ask this question, I want you to remind everybody how much your family was involved, or I don't know, still is, in racing. Mm-hmm. Yep, still is, actually. I mean, Flagstaff Farms here has been here since 66. Um, do you know the reason it's called Flagstaff Farms? No. Yeah. Do you know, right before a race is about to, the starting gates are about to open, they say, and the flag is up, and they're off, right? Oh. It's named for that tension moment. It's a funny little story, but actually, from the moment that, the flag goes down, the horses are actually owned by the racetrack and they can make all the decisions for that horse until the race is finished. I didn't know that. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah. And um, so that's a kind of a tense moment right then. And for some reason that's stuck. But uh, yeah, so we've been involved with um, some real 
cool horses over the years and and the facility is has been breeding and you know so all aspects of the thoroughbred industry too and uh and dad was a little jockey when he was a little guy and 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 then when they started flag is up farms with a partner it was all about the thoroughbreds and getting started you know i think this is where dad perfected he had so many thoroughbreds through here that's where he really got to perfect the the process of join up and um, getting a horse started with a flat saddle and a rider up in about 30 minutes because he had so many horses and the deer here. There's a lot of deer here, too. And that was a big schooling process for him. Um, but we've had um, legends through here, shoemakers of the world, uh, top trainers, Baffert. Baffert was here when he was 12 years old or something. <laughs> this dad who raced quarter horses. So, yeah, we do have a long history. And so this is not going to be a conversation about bashing the thoroughbred industry, because I think that I love thoroughbreds. I think, um, you know, Jamie Jennings has been amazing with OTTBs uh, off the track thoroughbreds and um, they're versatile and they're athletic and they're really cool horses. So why is there so much mess out there in the thoroughbred industry? Right. Why is there so much controversy? Well, I mean, the easy part going back to the 60s, easy answer. I mean, I'll, I'll ask Mandy, Mandy, do you know that if a horse, if we, if a horse goes over the finish line faster than everybody else, does he win extra money for the time that he is clocked at when he goes over? I have no idea. Okay. Most people don't. (laughs) That's why I ask it. Most people don't know. No, it's the first guy over the line. He wins, right? He's whether it's 10 seconds or the, two minutes, right. Yeah. Whether yeah. he crawled over the line yeah. or not. <laughs> so there's no bonus for getting over the line faster than the record-breaking time or whatever. Now, you might say there's a little value when he, if he goes to stud or if she's, you know becomes a production mare or something. But there really is no value to being you know that much faster. So if you threw away all the whips in the race, is the fastest horse still going to win? And the slowest horse still going to lose, the, you know, come in last? Yes. So it's kind of ridiculous that we need whips. Over the years, and it's been decades, people have made the argument, oh, you still need them for, you know, separating horses. The jockeys always say we need them for safety. Yeah, and I think the jockeys have always heard that they better not say anything. Yeah, I mean, or the, it's just a legend. It's it's an urban legend, let's call it. Um, and it doesn't look very good to the public. And that's probably the biggest problem that thoroughbred racing has right now is it just as ugly. And guess what? We look like a third world country here in the U S because everybody else is getting rid of their whips and maybe worst case scenario, they have nerf bats and things unless they're really a backward country. But if you talk about any other country, they're light years ahead of us. So people don't know that. Um, you know, I, I don't know, Rachel, I mean, how much do you know about the thoroughbred industry and, um, your opinions of, of what does whips look like to you? Yeah. I mean, I know some, cause I do a lot of retraining off the track, not as much as Jamie, but that's, I typically get the one or two off the track and work with them for a season or a year and try to restart them and rehome them or, you know, sell them on for someone else to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't ride with a whip. Like I find, I don't have to, not that I'm trying to go fast, you know, I'm trying to slow them down. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, and kind of to your point too, about starting them young, so you start them young and then you just push them harder, harder, harder past the point that they can go to. And then I do see a lot of post-track injuries or stressors that then result in like continuing lameness. Mm-hmm. So, and I think it all goes together. Well, I'm going to take on the two-year-old thing and it'll surprise you, I think, a little bit in a second. But on the whips thing, I, there are more accidents that happen in the home stretch. And a lot of people say, oh, it's because the horses are tired. But if you watch enough footage and film, you'll see that horses' strides can be thrown off by being whipped. Mm-hmm. Uh, other horses' strides can be thrown off by the horse, other horse being whipped. You know, it's just a, it's a domino effect when whips come out. Well, Debbie, the new um, law that just mm-hmm. took effect that mm-hmm. now kind of is going to make the rules across the country the same wherever you are, right? That's, that's right. what the law basically does. It puts somebody in charge for the country as opposed to having 45 different ju- jurisdictions. Exactly. Um, do you think that that's going to help with this whip situation? Do you think that there's going to be something? 
I think it does help to become a uniform decision on these things. And I do think that now sort of the, the light is shown on the situation, especially after um, oh, the last couple of years, I think the U.S. has finally studied other or a few people have looked outside the United States and realized how far behind we actually are. And there's there's so many parts that we are behind on, even in drugs. Lasix, when I was a kid, you never saw an L after a thoroughbred's name in a racing program, right? And now it, it's a equalizer. So everybody is on LASIK. So you see L after everybody's. And LASIK is a diuretic. I don't know if you guys know it, mm-hmm. but it, I mean, I, it'll just gross you out if I tell you what it is. Um, but it's a legal drug, but it's a blood thinner. And basically, the, all the horses are dehydrated. And, you know, there's all fallout from that. Well, and they're still dying. You know, we were talking about it last year, uh, Mm -hmm. beginning of last year, how many horses were dying in California, the racetracks. And all the articles last week, I get every article about a horse in my Google feed. And Mm -hmm. there were dozens of articles about the number of horses that are still dying. Yeah. Uh, It's just all out of the news right now because we have other things we're talking about. But, you know, we talk about PETA and we all kind of don't like PETA, right? Because of the, the, the way they do things. Extreme. Yeah, yeah. They're, because they're extreme. But we're giving them ammunition. You know, exactly. this is the thing I've said for 10 years is we shouldn't be giving them the ammunition yeah. to try and put us out of business. And, oh and I mean us. I mean everybody. Because I still believe in the ball rolling down the hill and the snowball rolling down the hill and gaining steam. Yeah. Once they do, you know, once they got after the carriage industry that was their first one because that was easy yeah. right it's an easy right. industry it's smaller they could deal with that in the cities and try and get them out of new york and chicago and they're winning that battle uh, but then they're going to go after somebody else and eventing's on that list for sure because you know yeah. horses die in eventing and people die in eventing so that's on the list but you know racing is a big obvious one it's on tv we see we do whipping is you're right absolutely is a wrong thing to see Absolutely, right um, and then, and then the horse dying, you know, the horses dying right. like crazy gives them all the ammunition in the world too. Do you think there would be less horses dying? If I want to hear your opinion on starting them as yeah. two, because that's one of the controversies. Yeah. We start them at two now. Should we wait till they're three? Should we okay. wait till they develop a little more? This is a fun one. Um, because it's a challenge. It really is a challenge and it goes up against tradition and tradition says two year olds need to race. And I'll tell you why. And I think. I'll I'll preface this with it'll probably be a 10 or 15 year if you rolled up your sleeves right now and set out to change it to one year later. Okay, 10 to 15 years at least to change it. And that's not it's it's changing the training system. It's not changing people's minds or the laws or anything else. It's actually training. The whole training system would have to change. Think about it for a second. What owner of a thoroughbred doesn't want to win the Kentucky Derby when they think, I want to win a thoroughbred, right? They all want to win the Kentucky Derby. When does the Kentucky Derby race? Well, they would have to change the Kentucky Derby to four-year-olds to make it fair, right? Uh, but don't go there yet. Just okay. start with tradition. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's the first week in May, and it's only for three-year-olds. Three-year-olds, right. exactly. So how is that two-year-old going to have enough experience to, to do the run-up to the Kentucky Derby, if he doesn't have a few of those races, it's necessary to have those races in order to get enough points to be. Maybe it should be everybody's, every horse's first race, the Kentucky Derby. That'd be exciting. Wow. That's a big <laughs> race. Really big, big starting game. There's only 20 horses. It's their maiden in this race. race. There'd be maiden races for all the 20 horses. They're, oh, they're in all going to have to pay for their yeah. slaughter. So there's only 20 horses in the race. But if you think about it, it's all set up. Okay, now. Think about the poor owner here now. He's got a two, he's got a yearling. He goes to the yearling sales, right? He wants to buy a yearling and put it in sale. He buys a two-year-old in training sale, you know, getting ready for the racetrack. But he buys a two-year-old in training, you know, at, that's what the race, that's what the sales are. And um, if, if you have that tradition, that's what you do. And now if you tell that owner, no, 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 you can buy a yearling, but you can't put them in training at two, then you're going to put him at three up. Sorry, he doesn't win the Kentucky Derby. All right. Now you can say, oh, just change the Kentucky Derby. Uh Okay. You're going to have to change everything, all the races, Belmont and everything. And maybe that's okay. I mean, remember, we're talking 
Monty Roberts and the Roberts family, we go up against tradition, right? We're the, we're the ones who got criticized for going up. That's okay. I don't mind that, but you have to think through the whole problem. You're also asking everybody who owns a filly to put her in a separate pasture than the colts, you know, because when they're yearlings, you know, they come out of the pastures and then they go into training. Now you're going to have to ask that owner to keep the fillies over here. And remember the boys, they start thinking by three, you know, <laughs> even if they're not doing, they're thinking. And so, and they're already wouldn't go over the fence and stuff. You, you would be better. So let me offer some help. You would be better to kind of be underground training at two when the epiphyseal closures, when they're mature at an A, and you can look this up and you have an A joint in there, then the horse is mature enough to start doing some training. Before that, if I'm an owner, I don't want that that horse. To, this is going to win the Kentucky Derby for me, right? I want that horse protected and safe, and I want it to be an A. When Who's it's determining that, though, Debbie? A, a, an X-ray. It's a vet. It's You could X-ray every horse in every barn and find out if they're A or not at a young age. So that's an easy one. We cheat in and everything else. Don't you think they'd be cheating in that? Too? <laughs> I mean, we're, go- we're going with the assumption of honesty here. <laughs> yeah, okay. And in racing, that's good. <laughs> well, I know. But if you're going to change the system, 10, 15 years, remember I gave you, um, you, you probably would want to start some training. And I'll tell you why. When they're three and they're starting to get a crusty neck and they're big and strong and they know it, it's really hard to actually start the training then. Remember, they pull these horses right out of the pasture. If you could get started, remember now you have to change the training system for them. No violence, gentle training, but put a saddle and a surcingle and do some ground driving on them and get some training on them. And then if they're not A's, put them back in the pasture. It's so hard. Okay. Is it harder to learn French at age five or age 20? It was we hard lose. for me at age five and 20. Yeah. I was, <laughs> French? I took French, French for no. three years, and I don't think I learned a word. Because <laughs> of food, right? Yeah. Food. There was but, pretty girls in the class I didn't yeah. know about. <laughs> Must have been a good teacher. Too. Yeah. Good teacher. But, I remember you know, her name. Does that tell you something? Oh, whoa. <laughs> Jen, where are you? Mrs. Moriarty. She was tomorrow. awful. Oh, we could, we could, oh, we hated her. They count funny too. They yeah, do. yes. And did to Anyway, we digress. But but I, I really I'm going to challenge that people say don't race it too, but I don't think they really think through what that means. What all the things that you need to change. You want those horses' brains to be young and malleable and to learn. But you don't want them to break down. So, can we limit what they do in a way? If you now that's changing tradition too, but yeah, if you change the training uh, tradition to you know a kinder, gentler, like I'm saying, you know, there's a lot. Um, I watched the stable scoop, um, the episode that you had uh, Helena on, yeah, and one of the things that came up that I thought was really good was they said that um, you should there was a lot of um, learning to be done and that you should possibly rethink how you're training everyone in each pony clubs and everything. And really the horse industry is at a crossroads right now and a good one, I think, because I think everybody's compassionate. They have the right things in mind. I'm to throw the old, you know, cigar smoking, gambling, betting guys in the third industry, throw them out of the conversation and put all the women back in. And, They're all and dying stop. off, to be honest. We are in a new generation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I mean at a crossroads right now, everybody wants the best for these horses. So now's a good time to break down the whole system and, and talk about that, you know, and talk about a better system of training these horses. Helena said, or and that your group said that why don't we train ground training as valuable. Why don't we charge as much for lessons for that, for ground training, as we do for lessons for riding? When you start to put a value on that, those early lessons and that early training on horses and people, you actually do create value there. And people are starting to understand that value um, really is worth it. Um, good, good start for people, good start for horses too. Any comments from Mandy, Rachel, anything on this? 
No, I mean, I agree. And I know there are some racehorse trainers that do put more value on the groundwork and starting and some, I mean, they're not all the same when they come off the track. Some are kind of started already or had been started before they went to the track and some go to the track and just run. And they're a little <laughs> less rideable when they, you know, so there, there's a wide variety, like in anything, you can't just lump all trainers together, but it's, it's the money. It's the tradition. You know, the money is behind certain races at certain ages. The reigning industry runs up against that too. Yes. They're young. And then, you know, they're retired at the age of four, just like racehorses, four to six, yes. they're done. And, and it's the money. It's the tradition. It's the whole system. I agree. Very good, Rachel. Yeah. And, and there's point. good, we'll end with this and we'll go on to the next thing. You know, there's good and bad. We say this all the time. There's good and bad in every discipline out there. English, Western, there's good and bad trainers. It just is the way it is. But we have to all get better. I mean, we have to get better. We're going to lose the privilege that we have of owning horses and riding horses competitively. In another 10 years, this, you know, the way things are changing, it's a, it's a concern. You know, it is a concern. If it, We have to be better. But we, ha- we have to be better starting with us, right? And that's all of us that own horses. We just have to be better. Because if we're, if we're not better, it is going to change. And there will be a time that eventing will go away because it's too dangerous. Uh, you know, it's too dangerous for humans and it's too dangerous for horses or it'll change and it'll become, you know, it'll become dressage, you know, it'll just be, you know, nothing dangerous. Uh, steeplechasing is another one that's, you know, there are a lot of even horse people that argue the steeplechasing is a problem, right? So, you know, there's all of these things, you know, we gotta, we, we just have to be better. We're going to lose the privilege over a period of time. So yes, the major league eventing podcast, this latest one is Mike Etherington Smith. And he talks about the same thing being better, uh, better horsemen, better horsewomen, better riders, because that snowball's coming down the hill. Yes. And and, he says the same thing. And Pete is pushing it down the hill and every organization like PETA, you know, I'm just picking on him here, but every organization like Pete is pushing them down the hill. And you know what? I agree with uh, some of what they say. And when you see some of what happens in reigning or whatever discipline it is, again, I can throw any discipline in. We haven't even got rid of the the, the, the shoeing issue in Tennessee yet. I yeah. mean, it, oh, and we can't get true. rid of that one, uh, you know, so that's coming, I think. But uh, anyway. We're working on that one, too. <laughs> you know Debbie, you got me started. I am very, I was very interested to hear your, your position on the two-year-old thing. And I think you explained it very well. So thank you, so thank you for thank that. You. that. That was a position I hadn't heard explained that way before. All right, let's talk a little bit about you guys. And then we're going to get to the last question, which I, I, it's not controversial, but it's something we all have to deal with. And that's managing <laughs> costs and what's necessary with your horses and what are you just throwing money away at and that kind of thing. So we're going to talk about that. I'm com- coming from that as the horse husband's point of view. So... Uh, I'm going to represent all horse husbands in that one. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> that's coming up. But first, I want to give a, you guys a chance to plug what you do. We'll start with the veteran here. Debbie, tell us a little bit about your show. Oh, we have so much fun. Horsemanship Radio, it's, it's the easiest one in the whole lineup. How many shows do you have now, Glenn? I think it's about 20. Yeah, I think we have the easiest job ever because we are not discipline specific we have people on that are world olympians and we have people on that just bought a horse but it's all about horsemanship so i really like doing the interviews with people it's just a um a bunch of horse lovers um talking effective training but also um intelligent training and i think it really it's the show that actually helps people feel good about the direction that horsemanship is going and that's a big that's a big talk right now right is what we're talking about tonight so horsemanship radio started off as a, a thought to have oh a corner on maybe natural horsemanship but i never understood what that was anyway you know our our animals are all flight animals so and we're carnivores so it didn't really make sense <laughs> natural horsemanship it really is about how we build a partnership with our horses all the way to the Olympic level. And I, we all know that really the Olympians um, probably have the best partnership with their horses than all of us because they have to perform at such a high level. So um, it, it's the show about loving your horses and living with your horses um, and not just kissing and hugging on your horses all day. Very good. That's at horsemanshipradio.com or you can find it at any podcast player. All right, Mandy, this is your chance. Tell everybody about your brand new baby. 
Yeah. So the lead line again is coming out next month in March for anyone that missed that in the beginning of our talk tonight. And it's been several months in the making, but the lead line is a show for horse business owners and entrepreneurs who want to just really be in love with their business, do what they love and also make money doing it. A lot of us you know, we want to pay for our horse hobby. And I think that's where my first horse business stemmed from is I was like, how do I pay for this? <laughs> and so now, you know, several years later, I've got a lot more business experience and I've been working a lot in the marketing industry and business industry. And so I'm just bringing that experience to the table, but also, you know, having that desire myself to make money doing what I absolutely love. And I think we can all be happy, you know, chasing that dream. So I hope to inspire other entrepreneurs who are, you know, chasing that same dream. And we're going to bring a lot of value, a lot of like how to's, how to make that money, how to market your business, um, what kind of like organization and structure you might need and things like that. So hopefully a lot of good content coming up here in the near future. You have a great radio voice too, by the way, with your mic. That's the first time I've heard you on mic. So that's great. I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a great show. I know that you know what you're talking about uh, because you have worked in business outside the horse world for the last several years uh, with some very large companies. So uh, I'm excited to hear what you bring to the table. And you'll be able to find that. We'll announce it, of course, here on the Horse Radio Network. It'll be on our app. It'll be on any podcast player. And it'll be the Lead Line podcast. All right, Rachel, give a plug for your business. (laughs) Okay, so yes, uh, Double Shot Equestrian, which you can find on Facebook. And um, I mean, I guess unless you're right next to me, it's not like I can teach you lessons or train your horse. I do have a horse or two for sale every year, which I try to get through on Facebook. Um, (laughs) But then, like I said, I also coach the collegiate team, the Intercollegiate Horse Show Associations team. And I've been, I rode on the team in college and I've been coaching that team for like 14 years now. Um, And I think... That is something like if I could kind of push that a little bit, if you know of young riders that are going off to college, have them explore options of riding in college. You know, and it's a team environment. I think that's very good when we talk about the future of the horse industry. It's you don't ride your own horses like in IHSA. And so I think it's a really good chance for equestrians to ride more as a team, as a cohesive unit and kind of for us all to be connected that way. Um, And I've seen a lot of really cool things come out of that my team and my girls and you know following them after college so I, I think those programs in college are really good for young riders very cool and she's been a listener of ours for a long time so we love her for that too long time since <laughs> the days of ipods <laughs> you were listening when we had to download it to your computer and then download it yes. to the ipod <laughs> yes was... and then like you know get it plug it into the cassette player in my car yep. and get it to that way <laughs> With the cassette, with the wire coming out. (laughs) Yes, I did that. Those were the days. (laughs) All right, let's tackle the last question. And this was Rachel, so bring it on, girl. Okay, so my question is kind of like, it's a little bit of a keeping up with the Joneses question. Like, do I need the $6,000 saddle? Do I need the $500 bridle, you know, that everybody else seems to have? Or, Or does my horse need a massage every week and chiropractic care and PEMF. And so like, how do we, how do you figure out what you need? You know, your saddle has to fit. It can't just be off one of your bad ads and, you know, throw it on and away we go. So like, where's the line between tack that doesn't work, that is maybe dangerous or doesn't fit well and tack that seems exorbitant because it, you know, costs more than some of the horses I buy. So how do you, how do we figure that out? Or how do you not, especially some of the young riders? And I think, you know, it's mom and dad's money buying all of this. And then you kind of look at it and think, oh, I need that. I want that, you know? So I guess, I don't know. How do you draw that line in English, in Western, mm-hmm. in any discipline? I think you get this. Mandy? So it kind of takes me back to when I was saddle shopping like two years ago. I grew up buying the like $100 saddles because I've just been a, like pleasure trail rider for my entire life. And so I was always buying the, I would say anywhere between like a hundred to $250 was really my max spend. So a few years ago, I, I actually got out of horses for a little bit there and I got my original horse back in 2018. And so I was like, well, I need a saddle. Just the one I kept all those years wasn't working. So I started shopping around and I went and 
checked the, you know, the 200, $300 saddles first. And I was like, these just don't look the same anymore. Now that I'm an adult and I'm not, you know, like a 16 year old kid trying to buy a saddle. Like, I don't think these are the right choice for me right now. And that's not to knock lower end saddles. It's just, I was kind of in a different bracket at that point. And I was looking for something that was better suited for my horse. Um, so it was a lot of shopping around and I ended up settling on a saddle that cost me around $1,200, which now that we've looked at that closer, I think I actually need a different one, but all that to say, like I, I switched up price ranges and yeah, it was a lot of shopping around and it was an expense, but sometimes you have to invest into, into good equipment for the safety of your own horse. Debbie comment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of on that same vein, Mandy. I think, you know, you can get involved in um, some really uh, convincing high-end stuff, you know? I mean, it's such an emotional thing sometimes and maybe not as objective as it should be because you'll get a good saddle maker or something, um, uh, saddle fitter, actually, I have more trouble with saddle fitters than I do actual equipment makers, um, that, you know, emotionally, they really do tug you to think you're destroying your horse, you know, and and I kind of fall, I fall more into the category of, um, I'm older than you guys, <laughs> um, that ultimately, our horses change so much, you know, just in the muscling and as the season goes and in a couple of months, you can really. So I'm more in investing in those things that can a, a, a decent, good saddle. Um, if we're going to say generic saddles, let's just say it generically, because um, a Western saddle is going to have more weight. But, you know, people have weight. too. Or Arena so. Saddles, our sponsors. Uh, one of those Thank would you. be great. Yes, <laughs> arena Saddles are the exception here. They're the best. But, um, but I think a, a good pad, you know, I mean, I, and sometimes I'm investing more in the thing that will make the bigger piece of equipment go with the horse. You know what I mean? Um, in the case of saddles, that, that's true. And a really, uh, you know, a really good leather and everything that um, that I can being around your horse and being familiar with how your horse is acting every single day is probably the most important thing to know about equipment, to know if there's something wrong. And so I'm a little bit more in the camp of I'm willing to pay for something if it's really good quality, but I'm really more willing to listen to my horse and watch that I have some forgiveness in whatever I'm I'm dealing with in equipment. And that goes all the way from top of head to, to bottom of book. Well, I was just going to say, and it applies to, every, you're making this decision a hundred times a month because you're you're making it about exactly. supplements, which can be hugely expensive, exactly. right? And you have to yeah. feed them all the time. You're, you're making that same decision about feed. You're making the decision about tack. You're making the decision about which shows you go to because it's yeah. $500 to show up now, right? At minimum. So, I mean, you're making this decision all the time and something has to go. I mean, Unless you you have the resources, you're you're going to make compromises somewhere. So where do the compromises come in? What do you do, Rachel? I, unless you're made of money, you're making compromises, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm a horse trainer. I'm not made of money. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um, I try to get advice from people that I trust, trainers that I trust, on like what is good nutrition. You know, what's my baseline for a racehorse coming off the track? What do they need? What is maybe like excessive. Um, I think some people fall into the trap of chiropractic massage, PEMF, and they don't do the training in between to teach the horse how to carry itself correctly. Um, And then it is hard. It's hard to go to clinics. Clinics are expensive. Shows are expensive. And then you look at everyone's equipment and you think like what you just paid for one month of training and board and equipment and supplements and clinics is like more than I make in six months, you know? But I think I try to look at what are my good basics? You know, like Debbie was saying, does the saddle fit? Is it good quality leather? Does the bridle fit? Is the bit an appropriate bit for my horse? And then um, one of my clients was having this conversation with me and she said, you know, I'd rather if my horse is comfortable and my horse is in good weight, et cetera, spend the money on the training than to spend the money on the equipment. You know, the bling is not going to make me a better rider. And I thought that was a very good point too, I guess is, just reminding ourselves of that when we kind of, you go to that Western show and how much do those Western jackets cost? Those show jackets? I mean, a lot. <laughs> you know, right, and, and you can get 
I'm oh. Facebook friends with a few people that make them. And every time I'm like, wow, I don't show, but oh, right. <laughs> those price tags. <laughs> They're beautiful though. Yeah. So to kind of, you know, and find, find friends, find other trainers that help ground you away from some of that. I think sometimes away from the hype of you, you need this shape crown piece. Now you need this bit now because everybody has it or your boots, you know, like Nike, your boots have to have a certain name brand on the side. Well, and it's going to fix my horse. That's uh, not trained or it's going to fix me. That's not trained to ride my horse. If I just get a new bit, it's magically all going to be better. That right? works in Hollywood. You know, yeah. if I steer my horse in the eye, and yeah. buy a fancy thing. I'll tell you what used to drive Jennifer nuts. She used to train horses for people. And her first comment would be, oh, you're getting training too. And they would go, well, no, I don't need training, right? Yeah. And so you're sending this trained horse pet home to this untrained person who then rides it. And and still, is, the horse is not any better, right? Because it yeah. did, nothing happened when you had the horse in training for three months. I got it home and the same thing was happening because you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you know? You're know, you not trained. But I think there's a lot of money wasted on training because they're not the people aren't getting any training yes because you don't know what to do after yeah you get a you get a trained horse that you have no idea how to ride (laughs) uh yeah but i like this comment here too nothing wrong with buying quality used equipment and and that is again that is an avenue of you can buy better quality tack better made tack for a lower price um there's a lot of facebook groups for that and that's legal they won't kick you off for selling bridal (laughs) As long as you don't put horse in the description. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Don't put horse tack. (laughs) When we were buying an RV here last year, we did a lot of research for like six months. And they said, don't buy a new one. They always have problems. And you always have to get warranty work done. Buy one that's one or two years old that they've already had all those things fixed, right? So that's what we did. We got one that was a couple years old that had already gone through all those initial problems. Uh, And you know, here we got one that was one year old. And knock on wood, we haven't had any issues because they had already fixed all the issues. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, but that was one of my yeah. biggest pet peeves is we, we would see these people who bring the horses in for training, spend a fortune to have them trained, and then they're not doing anything for themselves. I, they're, they're ego, I don't know what it is. They just don't think they need it or whatever. Uh, but, you know, and I'm sure you see it all the time, Rachel. <laughs> you see it all the time. Yeah. Uh, where, what else? Uh, where are the other places we... I worked for a certain company at one point that had sold supplements in wells, in little wells they would send out to you. And uh, there was one lady there that they had to cut off. She had 22 wells every month for her one horse. So, yeah, you can... Uh, I, I think she just believed, her, you know, she see an ad and her horse had to have that, you know. And th- th- finally, they have a veterinarian on staff that looks at those cases and, and says, just like a pharmacist does, and says, oh, you can't, this is all just not right, you know. So they were refused to sell at that point to, to the person. Um, but you know, the, you know the supplement people, too, that, you know, are, are feeding 55 supplements, you know, to, to every one of their horses and, and they all need it, right? Uh, right. So, right. I mean, you, but... I think we all prioritize, don't we? What things are important to us. So that supplement person, the supplements are important. They probably don't have the best tack because they're spending money on the supplements. I mean, we compromise in places, right? Mandy, do you compromise? Oh, yeah. It's always a matter of what's most important. And last year, I bought my first brand new horse trailer. And like you were saying, sometimes buying something brand new isn't always the answer. It's beautiful and I love it, but I also have leaky windows that we're fixing. There you go. <laughs> Buy the new so, thing. It always has problems for some happens. reason with trailers. Like, that was a lot of money to have leaky windows, but they're going to fix it for me. So that's good. But still, it was like, oh, that's what I get. Buying brand new, thinking it's better. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. I mean, it's true with trailers for some reason. I don't know why, but it's yeah. true with every camper ever sold an RV. They sell these $200,000 RVs. They get them home and they're leaking. The pipes are breaking. The electric in some of these half a million dollar RVs, they mm. put the plugs in backwards and it blew all... I read about this one the other day. It blew every outlet in the place and every fuse in the place and almost caught on fire. It was a half a million dollar RV. They drove off the lot oh and it was God. wired wrong. So, yeah. so. I, I have a client that installed an electric trailer jack and it caught on fire. Oh, great. So, <laughs> fire. 
for training. She says, like, I started a fire with the electric jack. I was like, oh, I've heard that a hundred times. It's an old excuse. <laughs> so I don't know how to, what's the answer to this? Uh, from a horse husband's point of view, it's take the checkbook away and never let him have it again. But <laughs> I mean, sell the, yeah, <laughs> sell the horse. That's right. I mean, I don't think there's an answer. I think um, finding your community of people. I, I, there's people on the horse radio network, the Facebook auditor page. You know, we ask questions like that. Mm-hmm. ask advice. I mean, not that you trust everything on Facebook, but find a community of people you trust, find trainer trainers you trust, you know, and hopefully your trainer too will be willing to ask questions if they don't know, mm-hmm. you know, talk to your farrier, talk to your veterinarian about things like supplements, you know, talk to your farrier. What should I, is there a supplement I can use? What actually works in your opinion as a farrier or as a veterinarian? I think, you know, get advice from people that know more than you. Always, hmm. if you can. That's true. You and go. don't listen to your horse husband. He knows nothing. <laughs> don't tell him anything is the answer. <laughs> we owned a tack shop, and I can't tell you how many women came in, and they would be checking out, and they uh, they they had a credit card that he didn't know about. It was always yep. a credit card he didn't know about. It was the cash out of my sock. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, I wanted to call it right up, but I wasn't allowed to. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you all for joining me tonight. Really appreciate it. Of course, Debbie is with Horsemanship Radio. You can find that on any podcast player. Uh, in March, you're going to be able to find the Lead Line podcast on any podcast player with Mandy. And then Rachel has, what, what's, what's the Facebook page name again? Double Shot Equestrian. Double Shot Equestrian, and that's up in Cheeseland up there yeah, in is. Wisconsin. <laughs> uh, do you like cheese? Oh, my God, I love cheese. Is it required? <laughs> do you, can you live there if you don't like cheese, or do they just kick you out? No, they kick you out. You go to Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> I do hope that we can sometime at some point get to Wisconsin because I love cheese is one of my favorite food groups. I just want to. I want to do any everything cheesy there is to do. I hope there's just macaroni and cheese restaurants. That's what I picture in Wisconsin. <laughs> it's just macaroni and cheese restaurants. That's what I want. Liam was here. Kathleen was here. Uh, Tavish was here. Uh, Hannah was here. Uh, Mackenzie, thank you all. Danielle, uh, Donna was here. Thank you all for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. If you missed any part of this and you were watching live, you can just go to Stable Scoop's uh, uh, podcast feed tomorrow. Just look up Stable Scoop on your podcast player, and it'll be in there. uh, And you can catch the whole thing in audio form or just go back and watch the video. I appreciate you joining me, guys. Thanks a bunch. All right. We'll be back in two weeks. Thank you. Two Wednesdays from now at 7.30. We'll be back. And we're out. Yay. Good job, guys. That was fun. Yeah, that was great. Good job. That was a good conversation. I think that was good. (laughs) You guys all worked well together, too. Uh, okay, let's do it again, girls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You worked I, I well forward, together. Mandy, I look forward to listening to yours, too. And I yes. look forward to seeing you, Rachel, on the on the auditor's page. And I hope to, my girlfriend who moved to Wisconsin, I want to go up there and visit you. Yeah. If you if you think of it, tell me where she went or, you know. Yeah. I don't, you know what? That's another thing I have to ask her for is her address. Uh-huh. I don't even actually have her address. So, you, you, know, you know, planning this trip, I'm realizing how big some of these states are. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It's, Big drive. It's crazy. It's yeah. yeah. They're, they're not all Delaware, you know. It, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I'm going to see you on this trip. No, we're, we're planning on doing West Coast next year. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. because we know we're going to probably need six weeks for that. So, um, we're def- one of the stops definitely will have to be flag us up. If that's the only place we visit in California, that's. Oh I'll fly out there for that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Hopefully my house will be done by then. <laughs> Maybe. Because all my money. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, we right, at least good. can visit you in the same place. I don't have to go to the city to see that's you. Right. Yeah. No, you don't have to come to Orange County now. Yeah. That was a drive. Aren't you glad you're not driving that anymore? Oh, my God. Ooh. What a nightmare Once that was. Once a week for 20 years. I mean, just like go brain dead. I mean, it was every busy road around L.A. that you can imagine she had to drive to get up there. It was crazy. Crisscrossy. Crisscrossy. But I listened to a lot of podcasts. And it's yeah. not a fun road. That weavy, turny. And then we no. made the mistake of leaving Flag is Up the one time, thinking we would take the back roads. And remember, it was not even light out in the morning, and we're on these mountain roads that are doing this and that, and it was crazy. <laughs> it was foggy. Yeah. It was 
It was awful. Yeah, it was. He was avoiding the four hundred five. It's a four hundred five highway, and it it is terrible. It goes by LAX, and we call it the four or five miles per hour. Oh, we had the first. That's Archie. Hi, Archie. He was so good. He was so good, Rachel. He bar- they, were, they, they went ice fishing, and so when they came home, he barked. I muted that quick. <laughs> Mandy, do you have a dog? Were ice fishing? You didn't make yeah. that up? No, my boyfriend and took his mom out tonight. We ice fish a lot. Really? I've never we done drive that. Drive on the ice and drill the holes. It's the Icelandic horses. They, it's yeah. The yeah, they they cart they go out, ride out on Icelandic horses. And, do you build the it's, little hut? Do you guys have the little hut? <laughs> do you know what we have, Glenn? What? He has a 1963 Ken Skill camper. That he converted. So it has carpeting. It has. Does it have a hole in the bottom where you drill the hole? Yes. So there's six, seven holes and they have these little covers on them. So you take the cover off and you put your little pale sleeve. Yeah. And then you turn the heaters on. It's like 90 in there. You can go in your shorts. (laughs) And you just have little holes with the rods all sticking down the little holes. I will put up some pictures for you. Oh, yeah. I got to see this. You're going to need some photos. I live on the lake in upstate New York, and we see the little huts out on the ice yeah. everywhere, too. It's my whole family fishes. We Have you ever fish. done it, Mandy? Uh, no, I used to fish when I was younger. My youngest brother is actually big into ice fishing, though, so he's been out there early in the mornings the last few days, for sure. <laughs> Did, are the fish frozen when you bring them up? You just put them in the freezer yeah. then? <laughs> <laughs> when you go on the ice, they freeze real fast. <laughs> what do you catch, anyway? What are you catching? Um, Sunnies and, and crappies, we catch big perch on the river. Uh, we like to fish for walleye more in the summer. My dad catches a lot of walleye. They live on a lake. And then sometimes northern, you put your tip-ups out and you can catch big northern. Hmm. So I like sand fish. Very cool. <laughs> it's so cool to hear what hobbies everybody has, too, you know, because they're all different, depending on where you live in the country. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks a bunch. Thank Appreciate you. Guys. It. Talk to you guys soon. You. Bye. Bye.